one thing I always did from a young age was I always put myself in the other person's position. So it doesn't matter what, what position you are in life. Like you can use this on a daily basis, but like from a job perspective, what would my boss want from me and and put myself in his shoes and, and what would he expect? And so if you do that, you can really start thinking about what they want to see from you. And you can just use that to your advantage and you just raise the bar, do it better than what they would expect. Yes. And so yeah. if you keep doing that, it gives them really no opportunity or no choice other than to bring you on their team and continue yeah. to, to use you because you're obviously outperforming everyone else and yeah. you can then jump in and, and be the star of the show from such a young age. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders really, really exciting about the the really young leader that I'm bringing on the podcast today. I candidly was not really aware just how successful uh, Josh Walker has been, but in a decade, he was on track to become a, a partner at KPMG, having all the sort of signs and signals. And um, he talks about that progress towards, um, you know, becoming a CA and a CPA and, uh, and the, the decisions he made and what worked well and what didn't work as well, uh, in his career. And, uh, recently, I guess two years ago, ago he joined, a, a over $4 billion organization. And just a couple months ago became a, a vice president of Hillcor corporation. And he's in mergers and acquisitions and, uh, really, really an amazing, amazing story of success and mindset and commitment and focus. I know you're going to love it. And you know, what we're up to is, is finding other young Josh walkers, you know, who are really up to something in their world, really tenacious leaders and want a place where they can develop. So if you know someone, please share this podcast with them. Please share um, my email, cthompson at studentworks.com, or you could send them to our website at studentworks.com. So have a fantastic day, and I really do hope you enjoy this podcast. So Josh, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Really excited to have you. Thanks, Chris. Really excited to be here. Yeah, I know. It's really great. I know, I know this has been in the works for a while. You've been really busy with your career, with a build and, and uh, um, a real estate uh, project that you're working on. So, so thanks for making time. And, uh, and so... Why don't we take you back from before student works? You know, who was, who was Josh? How would you describe yourself? Any frustrations, you you know, that you recall as a teenager about how the world was working or anything like that? Okay. So growing up, I think uh, if I was going to describe myself, I'd always say that I was entrepreneurial um, right from a kid. I remember my mom from a very young age teaching me about um, sales and just it's a, it's a numbers game. Yeah, and right. if you go out and knock on a hundred doors, no matter what you're selling, you're going to probably get a, a few yeses. So yeah. you never have to worry about those no's and just keep going for those yeses. And, and if you can keep striving for excellence, you know, you're going to eventually break through and have success. So 
uh, as a kid, I was out uh, knocking on doors, shoveling driveways when I was okay. 10 years old and yeah. going around and seeing if people wanted their cars washed. The real reason why I, I always did this was as a kid, I would have my chores around the house and I would be cutting the grass and whatnot and earning my uh, allowance. But my yeah. allowance was never enough for what I wanted to do. I always wanted some more. I wanted uh, some more toys. I wanted different video games. I wanted yeah. different clothes, things like that. And so my mom always sort of taught me and my dad just, okay, if you want something, you got to go out and, and work for it. And that's just so applicable to everyday life. So growing up, I was always thinking about running small businesses and making a little bit of extra cash. And my main love, I would say, was sports. I was always playing uh, some sort of team sport. Hockey was my uh, bread and butter. Started playing when I was five years old, played competitive hockey all the way up to, to university and, and sort of stopped doing that to focus on on business and and where I wanted my career to go. because. I, I never had the uh, the hands or her shot to be a, an NHL player to make some actual money or a career out of it. But right. just uh, love spending time at the rink uh, around the, the friends and locker rooms or being a part of a team, whether it be soccer, or baseball, football, rugby. I've played a, a number of sports um, and just always looking back and thinking about all of the memories and, and what you really learn from team sports is the second and none because it's so transferable to what yeah. every day in business. Absolutely. It really is. And so, so by the sounds of it, you know, you kind of stayed out of the, I'm frustrated by a teenager because you just took action. Right. And, and so, so it's like, Oh, okay. I, I know how I can get, get more money. I'll just go do those things. And so, so I know obviously, you know, you're here. So you were successful in our program for, for four years. And, and, and I know we had the opportunity to work directly together for, for at least a couple of those directly, which were, were great. And so what do you still rely on from the program? On so many things, I think student works painting, it really makes you answer the bell at a, at a young age when, because when you think about your first, well, a lot of your, a lot of your, uh, people coming into the program are going to be first year university students. And so you're only 18, 19, 20 years old. And so I think it really is a testament to the people that can show up and the amount of hard work that's required to create a successful business. And even though there's amazing systems and people around you to support you throughout the process, it still is a testament that the, um, the amount of hard work that's required um, to do that is it's unbelievable, but it just sets you up for for life. And if you can be hardworking at that young age, you're going to just ingrain yourself and, and set yourself up with good qualities for the rest of your life. So I think the number one thing that I would take away from it is is hard work um, and being able to get the job done, and also just being able to go out and network and and be comfortable knocking on doors and. Yeah talking to whoever and, and not being afraid of, of what's next and just putting yourself out there no matter what, what it takes. And I think that's, uh, that's what business is all about. Yeah. Cause those, all those, obviously the hard work is, you know, critical and all the roles that you've taken afterwards are critical. You know, how do people excel at a, you know, world-class organization like KPMG or, or, you know, become VP of a financial organization at such a young age. Well, a big part of it is hard work. And then, and then it's also that those, 
like you said, those extroversion skills that you create, you know, because you really just do just create them yourselves. No one feels comfortable knocking on a door, right? Initially, at least. But eventually it's like, hey, I, yeah, I feel really, really comfortable, you know, just talking to people I don't know. And that's really odd, right? You know, but a lot of people have that oddness in common because you do it enough and it's it's very comfortable, you know, but it, you really, it's, it's, it's about practice and breaking that down. Absolutely. And just thinking through what's the worst case scenario yeah. that's going to come out of, of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And normally the worst case scenario is you're exactly the same situation, right? So it's like, I, I asked for this. I, well, I don't have it now. I don't have it afterwards. So, you know, once you really get that, that they're not turning you down, they're just turning the proposition you have down or the service offering or whatever. And it's just not a, not, not a concern, you know, so you're taking yourself away from, you know, those bad feelings, you know, that, that, uh, you know, of rejection. It's not really rejection in, in, in sort of, a, a, a you know, other, other types of rejection. Um, so why don't we walk through, you know, you, I, I know you had, you had a really, really successful career at student works management program. And, um, you know, so what were you thinking, you know, after that entrepreneurial opportunity, what were you thinking next was going to be the best thing for, for you, Josh? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I always sort of had an entrepreneurial spirit from a young age. And when I got the opportunity to join the summer management program, I, I jumped at it and I enjoyed my summers with, uh, with you guys uh, tremendously still still think about the different uh, challenges and successes that i've had quite occasionally and um i think that when i was trying to transition from the student works program into the real world i always knew that i wanted to run my own business but i wasn't sure what i want to do it in yet and i thought that i want to increase my skill set and be somewhat um, of an advantage compared to other peers that are running their business. Cause I didn't want to go out and just run um, any old business. I wanted to run a, a very highly successful business. And so I thought to myself, well, why don't I go out and get my CA, my chartered accountant designation. And, and so that's what I went out to and, and pursued. And so Throughout university, I somewhat knew that that was the path I was going to take. I was going to. I went to business school. I, I enrolled in the uh, accounting specialization program at the University of Ottawa, and walked through that sort of process. And, and once I graduated, I was in a position to now start writing my CA exams. And there's obviously a process to that. You need to have a certain amount of hours at a accredited firm, and and so on and so forth. But my uh, my career really began um, when I was coming out of school and looking for a position, and that's I did struggle coming out of school and and securing a job. And thinking about why that was, I'm not I'm not, I can't pinpoint exactly what happened or why it took me a few months to get a job. It's not like I had something lined up right out of school, um, but that didn't matter. I didn't I didn't I didn't care. I just kept working hard and, and thinking about my next step of how am I going to secure employment? And so yeah. it came down to a numbers game again. Yeah. I need to network with X amount of people. I need to cold call X amount of people. I need to put myself out there. And all the while I was um, started writing my CA exams. Mm-hmm. And so I, after a few months, one of my actually very good friends who also painted for me one summer 
he told me that uh, there was a position possible for me at a, a medical supplies company, Medical Mart. And right. his grandfather at the time was uh, the CFO of the company. And they were looking for um, a chartered accountant student to come in and eventually take the reins as the CFO within five to 10 years. He was getting um, a little bit elder in his career. And so they were looking to effectively train someone to be the CFO and take over, right. um, which I thought was the most amazing opportunity coming right out of school. Right. So I went there and I worked directly with the CFO and did special projects. And uh, at that same time, I was writing my exams and, and it was going phenomenally. And then after about eight to 10 months, when I was writing my, again, my studying for my exams, uh, the CFO, we had a, a good heart to heart. And he said, look, I'm not spending as much time with you as I thought I would have trained you directly. Just right. Other things in the business are taking more, more time. He goes, I think the best training you could get is if you go out and actually get your designation with a public accounting firm. And so sure enough, I, uh, I said, well, no let's, problem. let's pause, let's pause. So, Absolutely. so, so first of all, as we're talking about this, one of the things that, that may occur that occurs to me is, is I know in your last summer, you know, just you decided to keep working on your business and making more money. So one of the things that might've happened is you're out of the normal funnel, the normal cycle of, of when people graduate. And that might've been one of the factors. But what I wanted to highlight for our leaders listening is, is it really meant nothing to you? And, and really it, it did. And, and meaning because you knew that by taking the right actions, you would go get yourself a job. And I can recall that because we were in communication a bunch and because you were one of the people I was network, you were networking with. Right. And, and it was like, Oh, and I put you in touch with, with people. Now, frankly, real good chance. The people I put you in touch with were not part of one of the answers where you went and worked with. However, if you do that with enough people, eventually something happens. Right. You know, and, and again, you just keep moving along that path. So you're taking the courses, you know, you've already got yourself financially in a good spot because you're running your business and then, okay, here's the course I'm going to take. And by the way, as well, obviously there's something to that CFO and just who he is that he's going to give you just that straight up great advice, great mentorship. But I think as well, it's also who you were with him. Right. Because he was going, here's Josh busting his butt, really doing a good job for us. And I don't think I'm going to contribute back to him and really get him in the best situation. And I can imagine that might be why he shared that with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think we had a great relationship right from the beginning. And I think yeah. if you're open and honest with your superiors and you mm -hmm. come out at them and, and you're explaining with what you want to accomplish it takes your relationship to a next level. If you always are guarded and you don't yes. explain or, or tell people what you, what you're looking for or what you want in your job, it, people aren't, people don't read minds. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they don't know, and then they're making it up or they're assuming and, and no, it's like, this is what I'm really looking for. And by the way, the, the accounting world is actually an example of what most companies aren't. And what most companies aren't is when someone leaves a company so often, oh, they've quote unquote burned a bridge, you know, which is ridiculous because, you know, in accounting, the world is, is they're 
the best at this where, you know, they'll come out of KPMG or, you know, Ernst Young or, or, or PWC, EY, and they'll, they'll basically say, I'm joining. Largely what they do is they join their customers' firms. And then later on, they climb those customer firms. And sometimes they'll go to others, but eventually they'll just keep turning the business back to KPMG or EY or PwC because they know those firms. They they got mentored really well. They got guided really well. And so, so I'm sure that's that's also the space they're in there. They, they have meetings about where do you want to go? They know that a lot of the people that enter the firm are not going to stay in the firm for the the the, the whole uh, their whole careers. Very few people do, right? And so they can have mature conversations. I know, I know, in our company, that's something we do uh, as well. You know, and you and I had conversations like that. So, Josh, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? How how can I assist you? Let me help you, right? Just just and again, we know there's only so many years that typically an operator will be here. The same thing with with a KPMG. Exactly, and just the model is not set up for people to stay forever. Yes, that's right. Exactly. And let's just be mature about it. And 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 again, how can we help you? And they, they don't, you know, it's one of those things, obviously, you know, frankly, you know, the, the typical person at KPG is highly, highly intelligent. And they know that there's this, this uh, dance that gets played, right? Oh, hey, you go to this company and then, uh, you know, hey, I got referred and all that sort of thing. And you refer me, I refer you, we're all always friends. It just helps, right? It doesn't have to be said, but it's pretty clear. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but but by the way, as well, like it's it's also just really intelligent by all parties. Right. And then, oh, I'm not going to disparage anybody and I'm just going to always take the high road. And, and again, I highly recommend that anyhow uh, at all times. Right. You know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and as we progress and we get into some of my other positions, but that was one thing that I always um, valued was making sure that whenever you leave a company, you give them ample time to just as a heads up that you are planning on moving on. And the last thing you want to do is burn a bridge. And mm -hmm. as you'll see, I, I, I ended up back at the same company a couple of times. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, and that just, I guess, shows a little bit of a testament to, to making sure that everyone you're, you're having that open communication, those open conversations and people yeah. understand why you're leaving. It's, there's no hard feelings. It's just at that point in your career, you just need something different. Yeah. So basically, you you started off early on, Fazari and partners, you, you, you know, to get a bunch of your your early experience. You go and joined as a senior consultant at KPMG, you know, and and and, and why don't you talk about the types of services that you're providing, or what would you learn in that initial role at KPMG? Yeah, so my initial role at KPMG, so I went into the real estate tax group. The reason for that is when I was at Fazarian Partners, it was a small firm doing audit, tax work, just sort of everything that accounting um, services provide, I was doing. And so uh, I got quite bored of audit quite early on and, and tax was somewhat interesting to me and challenging and, and really got the brain going and, and having that sort of being able to provide advice to your clients was something that was very exciting and interesting to me. So I thought I'd pursue that and always wanted to work uh, downtown on Bay Street. And so mm -hmm. I got this opportunity uh, with the real estate tax group and I always had an interest in real estate. And so I thought, well, what better way to, to earn, learn the industry um, other than by being a part of uh, a worldwide national firm, KPMG. And so I went there and I was, uh, as you said, a senior consultant and the services we provide there was 
Uh, we did a lot of tax advisory, M&A transactions, tax compliance. So anything really related to real estate and tax, we did in our group, which is quite unique because lots of the big four firms, they have these groups, but they don't provide all of these services. Whereas real estate tax was almost set up like a small firm um, within KPMG, and which was phenomenal for me because I got to draw on all my skills from Fazarian Partners and apply them to KPMG while I was there. And I got to be mentored by some of the brightest and smartest real estate partners uh, in the country. And so um, my experience there was phenomenal. I ended up being there for a, about a year before my CFO at Medical Mart um, called me back and said, and we were, we were, we were in touch for the, the whole period while I was away, but said, look, uh, you've got your CA designation now. Are you still interested in, in coming back and eventually becoming the CFO in the next uh, five years or so? Right. Okay. So you went back and joined join, join him. Correct. So yeah, I, I left uh, left KPMG, loved my time there, loved all of the uh, the peers I worked with. It was it was so so much fun. The the late nights, the laughs. Uh, you, you really can't re- replicate the, the camaraderie you can have with uh, people working in a team like that. But I knew for my long term career, I had to leave KPMG and continue on the path that I thought would be the, the best at the time and. I always ask myself whenever I was moving around positions, I would always ask myself, okay, if I'm, if I'm closing one door, I know I'm opening some other doors. And right. so you want to make sure that when you're closing one door, you're opening the door to the areas you want to be opening yourself to more opportunities. Right. Right. And so by leaving KPMG, I didn't see myself closing doors on uh, essentially where, where I didn't want to go. I, I knew I'm like, look, I'm opening a door and I eventually could become a CFO and, that's not going to hurt my chances. For sure. And so I went back to, to Medical Mart and, and I'll try and keep this brief, but again, working directly with the CFO, special projects, it was an amazing opportunity working directly with him. And after about, uh, I don't know, three or four months, I got pulled into uh, the inner circle and realized that Medical Mart was actually in the process of being bought out. Oh, wow. So they were getting acquired by a, a massive uh, multinational company. And so my, I quickly realized uh, I'm no longer going to be the CFO in five years at this organization. <laughs> That's right. Um, wow. Which was obviously a, a little bit disappointing, but at the same time, it was, uh, it was exciting because I got to be a part of a sell side transaction and I got brought into the inner circle and got to work with the vendors and, and provide them the the information that they required to, to do their due diligence and complete the transaction. And right. I was pretty straight up with the CFO and I said, well, look, I, I don't want to be absorbed by a massive company and, and be stuck in middle management. I'm too early in my career to uh, climb the corporate ladder in industry and people that are in accounting realize or, or know that generally when you're in the public accounting field, the, the amount of years spent there is three or four times the amount of years spent in industry. So you can climb the ladder a lot quicker in public accounting and then jump to industry as opposed to grinding it out in industry and trying to reach it to the CFO level. It's exactly they, like consulting, right? Like, you, you know, it's yeah. like, it's like you grind it out in consulting and then you're jumping into a director level, a VP level. And you've got, you, you're just taking really, you're, you're paying the price with hard work, with commitment, with focus. And, and as you're yeah. mentioning as well, though, it's exciting when you're doing stuff like that too, but, but yeah. 
So, so that's what made you decide Medical Mart wasn't for you because Medical Mart was getting purchased. Exactly. And, and I think everyone understood why everyone knew why I was coming back. And when it turned out that it was just bad timing, but it yeah. turned out that they were going to get acquired and, and no hard feelings still in touch yes. with, uh, with people at that organization. Um, but it just wasn't really what I wanted to do for the, for the foreseeable future. So um, interestingly enough, my um, partners at KPMG real estate tax um, reached out and asked me if I'd be interested in coming back. I was interviewing for some other KPMG jobs and they caught wind that I was interviewing and they mm-hmm. said, absolutely not. You're coming back here. <laughs> Tell us what you want. Right. Um, what do you want to be working on? And so I got the opportunity to go back and, and work again alongside some amazing partners. And one of the things that real estate tax does it, at KPMG is they run all their M&A transactions in-house or in that group. They don't, right. they don't ship that off to the M&A group um, that focuses on that. And so right from uh, Medical Mart, I was then now plopped into real estate tax, mainly working on the M&A real estate transactions. So massive cross-border, multi-billion dollar real estate deals. I, I was being a part of um, right from a very young age and, and being a part of some amazing teams and, and working with uh, some very smart lawyers. So just wow. getting exposure at such a young age was just unbelievable. And so I think, and I, I want to touch on this, but I think there was a, a few reasons why I, I kept getting these opportunities. Because no matter where I went, I kept getting these amazing opportunities throughout my career. Right. And I think there's a few reasons why that is. So I just wanted to highlight um, from my personal experience, what differentiated myself from say my peers to give me these sorts of opportunities. Right. And so one thing I always did from a young age was I always put myself in the other person's position. So it doesn't matter what, what position you are in life. Like you can use this on a daily basis, but like from a job perspective, what would my boss want from me and and put myself in his shoes and, and what would he expect? And so if you do that, you can really start thinking about, what they want to see from you. And you can just use that to your advantage and you just raise the bar, do it better than what they would expect. Yes. And so if you keep doing that, it gives them really no or no choice other than to bring you on their team and continue to to use you because you're obviously outperforming everyone else and you can then jump in and, and be the star of the show from such a young age. Yeah, most people, most people spend their time complaining about their boss, complaining about their situation. Like, like just think our leaders, look at how many setbacks, you know, uh, Josh has had so far in his career, found it tough to get a job, you know, initially, no big deal, just went and got one, then was promised an opportunity, then the company got bought, no problem, just rolling with it, right? And then yeah. I just love, and and by the way, as well, not not to not to take any any uh, any sunshine, but one of the advantages about being an entrepreneur is you think like an entrepreneur. So of course, you're just thinking about where's the value being created. Okay, my boss needs this. The value gets created here in his perspective or her perspective. And here's the value chain. Let's deliver to the value chain. I deliver lots to the value chain. So the customer wins, KPMG wins, the pro- the profits roll to the to to the to the partners. And again, what happens to me? Oh, I roll up, meaning that I get I get better bonus, I get more more opportunities. But those opportunities don't come first. They come after it, I deliver it. 
right? And you saw that because you knew that, that that's how it worked in your own business. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, I completely agree. So, so many people will, will spend time complaining about their position that they're in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not getting the work I want, this and yeah. that, where if you can take the initiative and think about, okay, what's some value drivers that I can provide the company? And, and if I see some inefficiencies, why don't I bring that to the attention of the superiors or the decision makers? Yeah. Because then it really shows that you're thinking and you're investing your time into this business and you really want it to succeed. Even yeah. if you don't want to spend the rest of your life at this organization, why not improve it while you're there? Yeah. It's only yeah. going to make you, it's only going to benefit you while you're there because yeah. You're going to get better, better recognition, you're going to get better work, you're going to get, and you're going to eventually get paid better for what you're providing. hundred percent. And, and, the, and also as well, most people will bring it as a complaint. Oh, yes. this isn't working. This really sucks. This is yes. a problem. So, so you don't bring it that way. You bring it as I saw this happening. This seemed to be inefficient and costing KPMG money and opportunity. I think this structure would support it so that more money would be made and more value would be created for your customers in KPMG. Let me know what you think. That's just my first offer, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, it's like someone, oh, oh, wow. Right. Like, again, people don't want to hear complaints. They want to hear solutions. Right. Exactly. You know, and, 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 and by the way, as well, many times as well, they don't even know about the complaint because they're not feeling the, the part of their business that's not working well. So if you're feeling it, you're seeing it. Oh, what could we do? How can we do this better? You know, but asking it in that sort of a way, which then again, it, you know, your 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 the the partners, etc., see it as, oh, this is fantastic. So yeah. that's awesome. So any yeah, yeah. So always always providing solutions. Any anything else that you saw that why these these opportunities kept coming your way. I think uh, another thing that people would say if they were if they knew me at at that point in my career, even now, is always dress dress for the part that you want to play. And yeah. So don't go out and I'm not saying go out and spend ten thousand dollars on suits or outfits no. or whatever. You don't need to to blow the the budget on that. But if you go out and buy some high quality clothes and and just dress respectfully. The partners are then going to be more inclined to bring you out on meetings and yes. those face-to-face -face sort of opportunities. Otherwise, if you're dressing with your tie undone, your top button undone, looking a bit slobbish, we all know we're, we're working hard in the office and yeah, you don't need to look like you're in front of a client 24-7, but have that wardrobe that's going to put you in a good spot um, down the road. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where it's always kind of look to the, look to the partners to say, how should I dress? You know, not, you know, and again, not quite as well as them, but better than everybody else, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. And then also just how you show up too. So it's not just dress, it's how you show up. What's your posture like? You know, are you smiling? Are you happy? Are you bringing good energy? Those are things you always do. You know, are you, are you, how are you communicating with people? You know, are you, again, are you, we're we're gonna have this this the, this fall. We're having um, uh, an alumni who's a hedge fund trader, and he says, "You know, you're working a lot of hours. You're really working hard. So you want to work with people who who are good. You know, who are nice, who are fun, who are you know. Again, they're not complaining and and throwing sand in the wheels. You know, so it so there's just something to that. It's like it's it's th those those are things that really make a difference too." So anything else that you want to share about the, the, the next, you know, almost four years that you spent at KPMG? 
So yeah, I just continued down that real estate tax M&A opportunities, just really digging in, really enjoying my, my time there, learning so much every every year it was looking back and wow look at look at how much i've learned look at how much i've grown and yeah. i kept climbing that ladder and, and I, was, I was on i would say partner track i think that right. if i was still there i'd be almost partner if, if mm-hmm. not partner in the next few years and mm-hmm. and the reason for that is just just showing up every day working very hard trying mm-hmm. to do your absolute best um and just giving it your all right yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And you can tell as well, enjoying it. So what had you, I know you've moved to Hillcorg about two years ago. So what happened? Did they come out and recruit you or how did that process happen? Right. So one of my last years at KPMG, I moved from the real estate tax group to the M&A tax group. And the reason for that was, like I said prior, the real estate tax group, they do everything like a small firm would do. They do the M&A transactions as well as they do the, the tax compliance. And um, if anyone is familiar with the corporate structures of, of big, massive REITs and funds, it's there's not like it's one corporation. It's It can be a hundred. Right. And so all of those entities need tax returns filed on the annual basis. So there's just a huge compliance factor, um, which was not something that I, I was enjoying in my right. career at KPMG. I loved the M&A. I loved the deal life. But then when I was taking care of clients who were doing M&A transactions, I was also responsible for uh, managing their tax returns. So I would have a team of people helping me prepare these, um, but it's still uh, an enormous amount of work. And it was taken away and distracting from what I want to do on the day-to-day basis. And so I moved to the M&A tax group to focus 100% on deals. And right. so it was, it's amazing group. Like, again, I can't say enough good things about KPMG Toronto, uh, everyone that I worked with. I got, to, again, working with the smartest tax minds in Canada, like directly and just in awe, like just in utter yeah. awe of their, their knowledge and, and what they can bring to the table and the value that they provide their clients uh, is second to none. And, um, so I spent a year in the MA group doing a lot of due diligence type transactions, um, lots of restructuring, and obviously a lot of uh, MA work and whatever that entails. Um, but my I realized quickly after about six months in the MA group that I love business and I love deals and I'm only seeing the tax side of things and I wanted to branch out into more of the business side of things. And I never got into becoming a chartered accountant to be a partner, even though that was my intentions while I was at KPMG. I was I was working extremely hard trying to eventually make it to partner, but slowly right. realizing as I was rising to the top that um, I'm not going to be able to provide the value of uh, the service as well as what some of my partners are providing. And the sole reason for that is my interest level of understanding the tax act was not at their same level. Right. I, so I can understand and I can understand concepts and I could do my research and I could really dig in. Um, but it's just not something that came natural to me. It's not something I enjoyed. So I I realized that I needed to pivot out of this highly technical tax role and get myself more into a broad based business role, which is something that 
I enjoyed way more. Right. And so I, uh, I was caught, I mean, through, when you're at uh, a, a multinational firm, you're constantly getting headhunting and offers are being thrown your way. And so I connected with a few head headhunters that were providing me tax roles. And I said, guys, stop sending me tax roles. I'm not moving to a, a, a job in industry and tax. Cause that's right. mainly what they were targeting for. And I had one quite unique opportunity actually to, to be a CFO at a small real estate fund. And I was very close to taking that role, but for various reasons, ended up turning that down and just didn't feel like it was the right fit at the right time. And then I had another opportunity come up and I, with working in M&A tax, I was being opened up to the, the, seeing a lot of private equity clients. And that's what was really interesting to me, something that you're, you're constantly doing M&A deals, but more from a business perspective. And so I, I got an opportunity to join Hillcorp uh, in 2019. Right. And so jumped, uh, jumped on that ship. Yeah. And that's, and, and, and so what does Hillcore do just so that, you know, it's, it's over $4 billion. What sort of, and what, what are you doing with Hillcore? So Hillcore is a investment firm. And so they're, they're not traditional private equity in, in the sense that they go out and raise funds to go out and purchase businesses and grow their portfolio. It's more partnering with um, other private equity funds or investment companies and using their own in-house capital to acquire businesses. And so my role at Hillcore is I'm uh, I'm part of the acquisitions team. So I'm pure acquisitions, M&A deals. I don't, I don't, I'm not involved with day-to-day operations of all the subsidiaries that Hillcore owns. It's more just, we're looking to acquire certain businesses and I run um, that transaction. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds, that sounds exciting. Yeah, no, I remember now talking about, we were going to talk about things and basically you're saying that the markets were frozen with COVID you know, basically saying people couldn't decide on what the price is because, you know, with COVID, there was so much uncertainty, there was no clarity. And I'm sure things have returned back to normal now about, you know, the clarity of the market, et cetera. Yeah. I think when COVID first hit, there was this discrepancy between um, the vendors and purchasers where the vendors wanted pre-COVID sort of prices for their business. And now we're entering COVID world and there's all these unknowns of what does the world look like, look like post COVID. And obviously you have to discount the the price of the company for this additional risk that you're now taking on. And so there was this vendor wanted X, purchaser wanted Y, and it just couldn't really make things happen. And so the M&A markets really froze up for the first few months of, of COVID and now they've they've been coming back stronger than ever. <laughs> exactly. Josh is looking pretty tired. <laughs> so, well, no, that's 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 awesome. And uh, and you know, congratulations. You know, early thirties. You know, VP of a of a of an enormous company like you know Hillcore. You know, really really well done. So, you know, I know we've been talking about wins and wins and wins. What about failures or mistakes uh, or setbacks? How, you know, what did you learn from those? So failures and mistakes. Well, I think uh, there's been obviously a, a lot of failures. Just everyone has failures growing up uh, throughout life and, and school, and everyone has regrets. Mm-hmm. I think um, some of my regrets 
I think taking advantage maybe of, of some more opportunities while at these uh, at these companies, trying to deepen relationships even more. It's everyone's so wrapped up in getting their uh, sort of day job completed and not carving out enough time to okay. really network and because you're just you, you'll network like with the people you're working directly with, but there's so many opportunities to broaden your reach and really connect with some other people and just really, I think, trying to find a time for that because you realize as you get older that your network is really everything. And if you don't have, or you don't spend that time building these relationships, it's a lot harder to go back and reach out to people. Not that they're going to be not receptive to that, but it's just easier if you sort of had some sort of past relationship that you can touch on and, and spark up again. There's no question. I was reading a book or listening to something and they were talking about, you know, you all of a sudden have that connection with someone and it's turning it into something, sending them an email. Oh, I saw this book. I thought you were interested in, oh, Hey, you know, do you want to grab a coffee? And, you know, they were talking about this one person who had just this incredible network. And it was because this person was so committed to finding extra touch points about staying connected, staying connected, staying connected. And then, you know, obviously then that network is really worth something later. And that, that, that contacts of being able to sort of see opportunities and, and, you know, so, so, you know, I think that's just such great, uh, you know, great advice and great, great experience uh, to share. So, you know, what did you need to change about yourself, you know, uh, as, uh, you know, becoming a, a full-time value creator coming out of school? I don't know that there's something that I need to change about myself. I think it's something that as you go throughout your career, you need to make sure you're continuously learning and adapting. Okay. And if you keep doing that and you keep stepping back and analyzing where you want to go, that's, I think, going to pay some major dividends down the road. Whereas if you just show up and just grind your life away, nine to five, stick your head behind a computer screen, you're not setting goals or doing things like that. You're, you're really going to put yourself behind. I think you really need to make sure you're, you're thinking long-term and really you got to be a lifelong student at yeah. the end of the day, continuously learning um, and, and trying to grow and, and be the best version of yourself. Every year you're trying to refine yourself, make improvements, focus on your, I guess, weaknesses. And again, trying, trying to be the best version of yourself. Awesome. Awesome. And so, so I know, I, I, I remember, you know, in some of our conversations, you were talking about real estate and real estate developments. So, so how's that gone? Like that's something separate from your, your full-time job. How, how have you, how have you done in that area, Josh? Yeah. So real estate is again, something that's always been um, an interest to me. And it's the, the, it's always been somewhat of a, a goal to eventually get in the real estate business. And so all, all things have to start from somewhere. And so after working at KPMG real estate and working with some of the smartest people running these, these REITs and funds, you start to realize some trends and some things and, and, trying to pick up on some, I guess, inefficiencies in the market and where you could add some value. And right. So I'm still in the stage of, of trying to figure out exactly where I want to take this, but we look, we've, uh, we've acquired a, a several different properties, d- done some different renovations, really just uh, dipping my toe into the real estate market and 
with some lifelong aspirations of eventually starting a fund or, or, or a development business. And I think that post COVID things have so, somewhat been put on hold during COVID, just given that the market, not sure if you, you follow the real estate market at all, but cap rates are being compressed immensely. So the prices of multifamily is at an all time high. Absolutely. Um, it's institutions that are coming in with very deep pockets that can afford to effectively not cash flow on these properties and they're banking on appreciation in the future. And so it just doesn't make sense for lots of people, uh, smaller funds coming in to try and acquire and trying to outbid um, these large pension funds because we all know that there's uh, real estate and everything else is, is cyclical and there could be, not saying that there will be, but there could be a crash. And the worst thing you want to do is put your, your investors in a situation where you can't bail them out. Whereas these pension funds that are overpaying for assets, in my opinion, have the pockets to protect their, their investors. hundred percent. Yeah, no. And, and it's, you know, it's like they keep running trillions and trillions of dollars worth of extra dollars around the world and uh, yeah. to, to, to fund this enormous debt that's been created. And so how, uh, what's happening and where's the inflation going? I would say the inflation is very apparently going into the markets and especially going into the real estate market. And so, so there's, there certainly seems to be a bubble. And again, no one ever knows for sure, but it certainly looks like that's what's, what's happening. And, uh, if I'm sort of new into, uh, the market, you know, certainly being cautious is wise. That's all just being cautious, being aware, you know, cause like you said, they, they can make those investments, uh, and protect themselves. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I think post COVID, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a, a shift in in possible real estate uses. As we all know, there's all the office towers downtown are are pretty much empty right now. Yes. Companies are are downsizing their their footprint <laughs> in office space. So what's going to happen with all of that uh, extra space? Is it going to be converted to multifamily, or is it going to be repurposed in in some other way that is yet unknown? So be meeting with some partners and brainstorming and, and thinking about where where real estate's headed and, and going to try and jump on jump on on an opportunity there. Awesome, awesome. And so, so if someone uh, was looking, at, you know, at you, what key habits would they want to steal from you, Josh? I think the theme of this, and I, I, I classify myself even in hockey. I was always a grinder, just working right. hard, doing the best you absolutely can, and. and Showing up on time, I think, is so important for your job. If uh, yeah. even if you're putting in super late nights, working weekends, if you continuously show up on time, it it it, it doesn't go unnoticed. People absolutely, realize, and they know you, that you've been working hard. You don't need to go out around and tell everyone, "Oh, I worked till two o'clock last night." Whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. Everyone's working hard, but if you continuously show up on time, it'll make an impression on your. Uh, on your peers as well as your uh, your bosses. I think also something that I do very regularly is, is set goals. And I think that's such an important habit. Mm-hmm. Um, I set goals generally on the annual basis around the calendar year, right. sort of what do I want to accomplish this year? And then break that down into monthly goals and then weekly goals and, and and daily goals just to to keep on track and just like your student works painting business right yep. you you set your goal at the beginning of the year and say how much do I want to sell and and you sort of work backwards how many yep. 
so if I want to sell X amount of dollars, how many jobs is that? And then yeah. how many, how many leads is that? And so then how many doors does that equate to? And so yeah. how many cold callers do I need to hire? Right. It's, it's yeah. really just thinking uh, in those terms. So one thing that I, a quote that I saw that I, that stuck with me is uh, it's by Bill Gates and people overestimate what they can do in the, in one year yeah. and what they can accomplish in one year but they underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. So yeah. if you if you continuously set goals and, and keep steering that ship in the right directions, even if you don't hit all your goals in that first year, it doesn't yeah. matter because if you look back, if you, your chances are you're way ahead of what you were at the beginning of that other year. So even if it is not necessarily a complete success, it's it's definitely not a failure. And so if you keep setting your goals and setting your sights, it's, you're almost guaranteed to succeed and, and hit those targets that eventually you want to. No question. And you've had a one hell of a decade there, Josh. So well done. <laughs> so, you know, and it's, you know, it's, again, it's one of the things as well, where, where people can count on you. Like, that's what you want. Like you've got a reputation. I know you have a reputation, you know, just, and again, I, cause I remember working with you, but responsive, you know, responsible on time, those sorts of things. When people just think, oh, they think you put your name and they think those things, that is what someone wants to work with. That someone's referable. That someone's, someone's going someplace again, not complaining. Now that's something that's come up here as well in our, in our, our conversation. And, and, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's, if, if our, some of our leaders, you know, find themselves complaining, well, what about taking it on this month and not complaining for the month? Just don't complain, you know, and, and it, you can, by the way, it's possible. You don't have to complain and just give it up. And, and it just is so, so powerful, you know, now yep. you can still speak honestly about a circumstance, but, but again, it's, it's the complaining, it's the whining, it's the, it's the disabling, it's the victimhood taking that yeah, away. It's your mindset. It's just yes. shifting your mindset. Because if you can shift your mindset and take away all that negative energy and, and all that time you're spending thinking about how this situation sucks or whatever this issue yeah. is, what if you spent that energy now thinking about a solution, right? Yes. Chances are people are complaining because they're, they're having to work too hard. Well, why don't you spend that energy and build a system around you so you don't have to, don't have to do that task anymore? Yes. Or, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's someone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and yeah, no, it literally, you can do it that way. And all of a sudden you save all sorts of time, you know, and, yeah. and again, cause that's what happens is happening in our operators businesses. People are figuring out what better ways to do it. And then, you know, again, that that's, that's what happens in all businesses, you know, when people are thinking about it that way. So final question, Josh, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? When I think of leaders of tomorrow, I think, that can look so different to so many different people. And it really depends on what you're striving for. So you could be someone striving to, to start a, a multi-billion dollar business, or you could be someone who's looking to have a, a good career, but also have a bunch of additional time, say family, say family right. is the number one important thing to you at, at this time in, in the stage of your career or life. And so I think that if you boil it down, though, I think you're going to see a, a few common themes between all these leaders or, or, or people who are striving for, for better. And I think that if, if you really break it down, um, these people are going to be, they're going to be driven. They're going to know what they want to accomplish. So they're going to make sure that they're, they're spending the right amount of time doing the right task in order to get them to where they want to be. 
they're going to have outstanding communication skills. I think that every leader needs to be able to communicate effectively. Otherwise, you're just not, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be falling on deaf ears. If if you can't communicate your thoughts or ideas or or what you want to accomplish, you're, you're going to be struggling. So I think that communication, no matter if you're looking at it from a a small project perspective um, to a a CEO delivering a a speech to all his employees, I think you got to make sure that you're constantly improving and, and looking at your communication skills. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure, and it's and it's one of those things where, as as well, interacting. How do we interact in groups on a consistent basis? And again, a big part of that as well is how do we communicate effectively in a in a supportive way? You know, all those sorts of things. You know, we talk about complaints. Well, also that that's a, that's a great thing. How do we talk about someone when they're not in the room? You know, check yourself on that, leaders. You know, how are you doing there? You know, talk. You know, and and again, are we? Are we not, are we speaking negatively about people? That's not going to work, right? You know, again, that's a, an error, of, an, an area of communication that's going to, that's going to impact, you know, because if you're, if you, if you're doing that, then people are going to think, oh, how does, how does so-and-so talk about me? Cause they certainly look like they're happy with so-and-so and then they don't talk nicely. So it's these, these, again, all the different ways that we communicate, they're so, so powerful, you know, and, 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 and create a lasting impact on people. So Josh, thank you so much for your time today. And I know you've been just crazy, crazy busy working on all the things you're doing. So continued success and, uh, and have a fantastic day. Thanks so much, Chris. Okay. Cheers. Talk, Talk to you soon. Hey leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.